Pray with me. Father, you're so good. Um, Lord, these lyrics that we sing about your amazing grace, about our desire to have our hearts surrendered to you, uh, God, may that truly be the cry of our heart and, and not just lyrics we sing on a Wednesday evening. Uh, Father, would tonight be glorifying and, and worshipful to you? Uh, would tonight be about you and making much of you? Uh, Lord, we love you and we are, um, we are pl- privileged to know you. Tonight is yours. We are yours. We've been bought at a price. May we respond in worship. In the name of Jesus, amen. Grab a seat. Hey, good evening. How you guys doing? Good. Um, Well, hey, if you are new here, my name is Ben Fuquay. I'm one of the young adult pastors. And uh, we really are glad you're here. We want you to feel welcome here. Um, No matter what your story is, no matter what the track record um, that you're walking into this room is, um, Christ's grace, uh, what he did on the cross, is bigger than whatever you walked in here with, whatever shame or guilt you think you're carrying around. Uh, So that's what tonight's going to be about. We do have connect cards in the seat back in front of you. We'd love for you to fill one out if you want to get more connected, if you want us to pray for you, anything like that. Uh, Fill that out and just leave it in your seat. So we're jumping into the book of Luke. So let's get after it. Grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat. Uh, It's a blue Bible, and Luke is going to start on page 855. So flip open your Bibles to page 855. We're going to start with chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what we believe about the Bible as you're flipping there. Um, We believe that this is the Word of God. So that's where we're going this semester, is we're just going to preach it. We're just going to open it up every Wednesday night, and we're going to walk through the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see what God does in our lives. Uh, Last week I gave a challenge uh, to everyone who was here, um, that man, no matter where you're at, I challenge you to stick around for the book of Luke. Um, stay with us and see what walking through a book of the Bible and looking at Christ and who Christ is and what his word says about Christ and his mission um, and see what happens in your life. That's my challenge to you. I hope you take it, um, but, uh, but we're not going to go far from Scripture. And tonight what we have for you is uh, I got two promises. Well, I got three promises. One, I think this is going to be short because this is an intro, guys. We're doing the first four verses, so it's going to be like a four-minute sermon. Um, that's not true. I don't know how to preach. Is it clapping? You guys clap? What's wrong with you guys? I mean, I thought we were friends. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, so, so we're just going to do the intro. We're literally just going to tackle the first four verses. But here's two promises I think I see uh, that, that we're going to till up in these first uh, four verses. One promise is that we're going to see the purpose behind Luke. Tonight we're going to look at why Luke wrote this book to us, why Luke wrote this book to his audience. And the second one is I promise uh, that there is going to be a challenge in here for you that is buried in the context of that purpose of Luke. Um, that my prayer is that you walk out of here with that challenge and you apply it to your life and, and um, you are changed as it's been really wrecking me this last week as I've been preparing for this. So that's where we're going, and then also, uh, we'd love for you afterwards to stick around and continue to worship with us. We're going to worship uh, when I'm done preaching in four minutes, uh, but also, uh, after, after we're, we're done and Casey's done leading the band, these doors are going to open, and there was a team from our singles ministry that went to Belize uh, two weeks ago, and God did some incredible stuff in that country and in the lives of our brothers and sisters who went on that trip, and they're going to be in the room right across the hallway just sharing what God did. There's free desserts over there too. So if, if like what God is doing eternally in the lives of people you know and in a country isn't enough for you, there's like free cheesecake. So whatever. 
Um, but seriously, go check that out afterwards tonight. It's called The Afterword, and uh, we're going to be doing those throughout the semester and just a, a place to go a little bit deeper. So go and support uh, that Belize team as they're going to share uh, from that. Okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going through four chapters. I mean, excuse me, four verses. Whew, that was close. That was close. Oh, man. All right. You guys there? <clears throat> verse 1 says this. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Hang on right there. What Luke is saying in some weird language is he's saying, hey, throughout history, throughout the last generation, people have been gathering, sharing stories, eyewitnesses. And what he's talking about is eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. So this is within a generation of when Jesus of Nazareth was historically living our Christ and Savior. And he's saying, man, all these stories and these narratives. And then he says in verse 3, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely, I've been paying attention to, to all the stories about Jesus, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. And then here he goes, verse 4. He's going to say, I, I'm going to write this account to you of Jesus' life and his mission. And here's why, verse 4 that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That's what we're preaching tonight. The Gospel of Luke. It's 24 chapters. It's 1,151 verses, all answering the question, the why behind, why Luke writes this, is for certainty. He's writing it to give certainty to his audience. The cementing of our faith foundation that everything else in our walk is based on that certainty is what he is writing this book that we're going to be studying. That's why. He's saying, I want you to have certainty behind what you believe. And if I'm honest, certainty is in short supply in our culture. Um, in my life, it is in short supply. We live, whether we like it or not, we live, um, we live by faith. We live by faith in most everything we do. Um, I, I am living by faith that I'm going to get a paycheck on Friday and I'm going to get direct deposit, and there's going to be money in my account on Friday, and I'm having bills lined up because I believe that's going to happen. I'm living on faith that tomorrow the sun will rise. I believe that's going to happen, so I'm making decisions today for that. The certainty, the security and confidence, right, would be another way to look at that. I have, and what I believe about today, is going to say everything about how I act tomorrow. Let me say that again. The security and confidence I have in what I believe about what's going to happen in the future will also impact what, how I act today. Um, that may be confusing. Let me illustrate it. About two years and eight months ago, um, my wife uh, and I, well, mainly her, um, she, this might get graphic, she peed on one of those little sticks that do pregnancy tests, right? So she peed on one of those. And when that happened, and I also peed on one as a variable to make sure that, like, we had, you got you to have a constant and you got to have a variable. So we both were peeing on sticks. Um, we're family here, so we can talk about this kind of stuff. So we both pee on them. Mine only has one bar, but hers has two bars. So this was about two years and eight months ago, and we get the two bars that show up, and the box on the pregnancy tester says, that means we're pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> hooray, we're excited about that, right? From that, we gave us a level of certainty that we said, whoa, in like eight months, we're going to be parents because this, you know, $16.99, those things are really expensive, by the way, they, it, it's telling us two bars, we're pregnant. 
So we started making decisions with our life because of some certainty that we were seeing. And then we got more and more evidence. Here's, here's my, my boy, Charlie. This is him. This is him attempting to pray at dinner time. Isn't that precious? Getting his eyes closed. He has a really hard time with the eyes closing thing, as you can see there. Um, so there he is right now in the present. But there was a period of time two years ago where we didn't know. His, right? We were just we were walking in confidence, walking in faith, getting more and more evidence. And then, and then we get the, the pee on the stick thing, and then we get this, this next picture. Right? We get one of those. And then we get even more clarity. We get even more certainty. We see a heartbeat. We go back more and more, get more and more developed sonograms as we are increasing our certainty and it is setting the pace for the decisions we're making. Now we're starting to paint rooms and we're starting to throw showers to trick people into giving us gifts for free and we're, we're buying cribs and we're working on baby names and all of those things. And then the day comes where we get to have our hands on this kid. And he comes and he is born. And this is, one, this is the first minutes of his life. Um, which, by the way, look how hot my wife looks after just pooping out a baby and she, are, she looks that hot. It's amazing, guys. Um, not exactly sure all that works, but there's some nurses in the room who could explain it to us. And then here, here's my boy, right? And then this is this joker, right? He's going to be he's going to be two here pretty soon. And um, and and so you, does this make sense what I'm saying? The certainty in which we're working on and increasing and getting more and more evidence to make us realize we believe we're pregnant, right? This little cheap thing from Walgreens says we're pregnant, but now this machine and now we hear a heartbeat and now and then one day we're holding our son. The certainty in which we're walking in is going to produce action in our life. This book is being written by Luke to his audience, to us, so that we might have certainty. It dictates your action, how much you really believe this gospel of Luke, how much you really believe if Jesus really was who he said he was and did what he said he was going to do and did, that dictates our action now, in this year, in this day, in this month, tomorrow. It has those implications um, if you believe that you might be on the chopping block at work, it's going to change how you work, right? If you believe someone maybe doesn't like you very much, it's going to maybe change how you interact with that person. Luke is writing that we might have certainty. And let me be honest, um, I need that. Uh, I need certainty. Um, my faith is weak, if I'm honest with you guys. I am vocationally a pastor. My job Right? Like how I get paid vocationally by the grace of God is as a pastor. And I wrestle with doubts. There are seasons in my life, um, even before I was a pastor, that were really dark seasons. I just thought, man, do I really believe this? I, my, my story is I grew up in a home that just always kind of preached it and always just said, this is how it is, and there's a God, and this is who Jesus is. And there, if I'm honest, there were seasons where I thought, man, how convenient. Have you guys ever thought that? How convenient that um, the one way, the, the one way to salvation just happens to be the way that my family that was born in the Bible Belt just happens to believe and most of my friends. How convenient is that? Wrestled with doubts on, on do I really believe that God created and sustains all this life? Do I really believe that Jesus was who he said he was and not just this great guy? Do I really believe uh, in the miracles of Christ? Do I believe in the book of Acts? Do I believe in the resurrection of Jesus? And those are all doubts that I have wrestled with and struggled with in my life and, and in certain seasons really weighed on me. 
Luke, I'm writing this so that you might be certain. That's why we want to go through this book with you guys. Because I think God's going to reveal certainty in your life that's going to change your life. Not just give you more head-nodding confidence, but a certainty in your faith that will change how you live now. A certainty in what tomorrow looks like and what is coming tomorrow and what is coming in our future that changes drastically how you live today. But these guys, right, of the Bible, the dudes who wrote this, the men inspired by the Lord, they didn't struggle with that, right? Like, that's the, that's the lie, I believe. Now, these guys, the apostles, Luke, thinking the apostle Luke, he didn't struggle with those doubts. Um, and that's not the case. Peter, who was a stud disciple of Jesus, one of Jesus' right-hand men, denied Jesus Christ three times after his arrest. Just straight up denied that he even knew the guy after being his best friend for, for three years and walking alongside him and the night before was ready to chop off a guy's head. Some little girl asks him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he's like, no, no, no way. Thomas, Thomas in church history, got a, his nickname became Doubting Thomas. He, after Jesus came to Thomas, he still didn't believe Jesus. He had those kind of doubts and said, man, I got to touch you. I still don't believe you're real. You're just a ghost. This, this can't really be happening. All of them, all of the disciples, all of the authors of the books of the Bible who were connected and eyewitnesses to Christ, who were there and knew the historical person of Jesus, they ran and they fled and they hid when Jesus got arrested. All of them. Not one of them stuck around. Jesus had to go find them in hiding after the resurrection. That was their character. That was the character of the apostles and the disciples. It was one of fear and insecurity. And then something happened. Something happened in history that changed these men who were fearful and insecure and for good reason because they just saw their leader crucified on a cross. Something happened in their lives. I, we can't introduce this book of Luke without emphasizing the resurrection. This whole book of Luke is a road to the resurrection. The crucifixion in chapter 23 and the final chapter in Luke that we're going to land on when we finish this book is going to be the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus happened and something completely changed. Uh, it's everything. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, hey guys, if the resurrection didn't happen, this is the Apostle Paul, he says, man, if it didn't happen, we can all just go home. Let's pack up our stuff. Let's just go home. That's the message translation of that. But essentially that's what he says. He says, let's just give up. I would challenge you, man, if, if you're in here and you can relate to me and connect with man, there are doubts I have. There, there are intellectual doubts I have. There's things, I would say this season stay with us through this book that is called to give us certainty, written in purpose to give us certainty. And then I would say look at the resurrection. Just through this season, look at the resurrection. Talk to the Lord about it. Look at the evidence for the resurrection. Um, these men, right, who were scared to death, look at the switcheroo in their life. Um, let me, uh, let me show you how they ended their life. Matthew, right? The first, uh, the first book in the New Testament. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia. He was killed by a sword wound. Mark, the author of the next book, who hid and was, was running, he died in Alexandria after being dragged by horses through the streets. That's how these men's lives ended. John, we'll, we'll come back to Luke. John, the only apostle who wasn't killed, was boiled in oil and tortured, and then sent to the prison island in Patmos. Peter was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. And Peter, church history says, when he walked up to the cross, and they were going to crucify him right side up, he said, I am not worthy 
I am not worthy to die the same way as my Savior. Crucify me upside down. James was thrown over a hundred feet down from the pinnacle of the temple. The same temple that Satan tries to tempt Jesus in the wilderness and says from the top of this temple, right? He's thrown from the top, the pinnacle of the temple. And when they find that he's still alive after throwing him over a hundred feet off, they beat him to death with clubs. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem. Thomas was stabbed to death in India. Simon the Zealot was sawn in half. Andrew, after being whipped severely by soldiers, his body was tied to, a, to an X-shaped cross. And then Andrew continued to preach to his tormentors for two days. It took him two days to die on that cross after being beaten. And he continued to preach the gospel. Luke, our author, the author of the book that we're going to be studying, he was hanged in Greece as a result of his preaching Christ. These are the same guys. When Jesus, when Jesus gets arrested, these guys run and hide. They are nowhere to be found. Peter is just, I mean, he's stinking denying Jesus to the little girl, right? He, he does not want to have anything to do with Jesus. And then something happened 2,000 years ago, guys. And the evidence of just you look at the apostles in church history and throughout history, and their lives got changed. They're joyfully going to the cross as martyrs. They saw, experienced a certainty of Christ that changed how they lived and then changed how they died. Um, that's heavy. That's what the Lord wants for us. He, he says man, he wants to increase our faith. They believe something radical and it changed the world. That's why this book was written. So some, some context now. Theophilus. Um, Theophilus, that word actually means, uh, it might be a name of an actual person, but a lot of people don't think it was a name of an actual person. The word means loved by God. So he's saying, my dear Theophilus, which could have been a guy's name, or it could have been a title given to a specific person. A lot of scholars, and I kind of lean in this direction, it doesn't really matter, uh, it's applicable for us. Um, I think he's writing to us. I think he's writing to people who are lovers of God. He says, my dear person who is a lover of God, I am writing this to you who love God so that you might have certainty of the things you've been taught. Luke's audience, and this is key context, Luke's audience that he's writing to, um, they are most likely going to die for their faith. When this letter was written, he's writing to a group of people not to encourage them on a midweek Wednesday night worship service. He's writing to a group of people who he realizes he is building their confidence in a faith that will probably lead to a horrible death for them. Because something is better than that death that they're going to be walking towards. He's not only sharing it, he's making sure they have confidence so that they would give away their lives for this. So there it is. That is the purpose of the book. I promised we'd, we'd show the why. That's it. These four verses. He lays it out. He's really obvious. We don't have to dig too deep. So that we might be certain. But the context, and I think the challenge in that context to us, what I want you to walk away with from tonight, what I hope the Holy Spirit sticks in your heart and doesn't let you squirm away from, is what are you willing to die for in your life? Somebody probably way more famous than me, I'm sure, said this. Um, but the idea that what's worth dying for, right? Think of what is worth dying for in your life and then live for that. 
what is worth dying for. And then live for that. Spend your life for that thing that is worth dying for. Don't waste your life chasing what the world might tell you is is worthy. Don't chase your life telling you what your own flesh says, this is what I want. Find what is worth dying for and live for that. Um, Man, do you believe enough in this to give away your life? There's a lot of crazy things I believe. I believe, um, and there are guys in this room that will testify and make fun of me for it, I believe Tony Romo is a great quarterback, right? Yeah, I know people laugh. Okay, we got one person who agrees. I believe that, right? I I would never die for that. Right? I mainly just do it to poke fun and, and rile people up because it's fun. That's not worth dying for. That's not even worth getting in a conversation over seven minutes long. There's a timer in my head, and I hit the seven-minute mark. It's like, all right, this is done. Um, the stats are there, guys. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. It's not worth dying for, right? Some dude who plays football. What is worth dying for in your life? Do I really believe that Christ is who he said he was? Do you believe the resurrection happened and the implications of that change everything? And and if you nod your head, yes, I do, and you look at your life and you say, I'm not dying to myself daily, I'm not living a radical life, then I don't think you can really nod your head. And I think that should convict us. Jesus Christ is the answer of what is worth dying for and having our life poured out for. This is written to build confidence so that we might know Jesus and his mission. That's our, that's our little slogan for Luke, man. This is just going to be Jesus and his mission. Wednesday night, we're going to look at who Jesus was and what is his mission. Jesus' mission was to die. And your mission and your call by Christ Jesus, all throughout Luke, you will not be able to escape it, is to come and die. That's what he calls us to do. And man, let me tell you, that is not a way to grow this ministry. Um, the way to grow this ministry is not in numerically, is to not say, guys, Wednesday night, we're going to encourage you guys to show up, and then we're going to encourage you to die week after week after week. But we're stuck preaching that because that's what Jesus preaches. He says, come and follow me. Pick up, pick up your cross and follow me. Come and die is what he says. I would propose that that life of surrender is life and that anything else is squandering it. I think coming and dying and following Christ is life. I bet my life on it. Leaders in this room, there are people in this room who say that is worth laying down my life for and living my life for. The New Testament martyrs believe that. There are believers right now currently who believe that and who are physically being killed throughout our world because they really believe and the certainty of what we're going to be walking through for the next few months. And their, their lives and their families are being torn apart because of it. Here, um, it's maybe not as much the case. right? I don't, I don't think, by the grace of God right now in this country, that um, we're facing uh, murder, right? that anyone's going to go get tied to a stake right now. And, and praise God for that. We're not entitled to that as believers. We're not entitled to this great freedom of religion. right? That, not as believers, Right? We might kind of have this American entitlement, but that's not given to us in Scripture. In fact, what we're given in Scripture is says, hey, if you follow me, you will suffer persecution. That's what we sign up for. Our greatest threat, I believe, our greatest threat is polluting and watering down the teachings of Christ and turning the gospel of Jesus Christ and the book of Luke into some sort of self-help or Christianity into some sort of prosperity, come and feel better about yourself, 
That's our greatest threat. Our greatest threat is not that that someone's going to come and murder us because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we've surrendered to it. Our greatest threat is that we have settled for not the gospel, church. Our greatest threat is that we have settled for something that is not what Jesus called us to. And we've bought into some watered-down gospel, some kind of American political thing that we check the box and check the religious affiliation And there's no contrast in our life to others other than maybe we're a little bit more legalistic and judgmental, other than the fact that we might be a little bit more homophobic and bigoted, other than the fact that we might have a little bit different schedules on Sunday morning and Wednesday night if you really are punching your card right. I think that's our threat in this society. Increasingly, more and more, I I don't think this is a newsflash, I don't think this is this prophetic word for me, I think we all know that our culture is changing more and more and more to where there is a contrast And there should be a contrast between our culture and what Christ calls us to look like. And when I say there should be a contrast, I don't mean the social media arguments that we get into. I don't mean a contrast in the way we debate our ideas with others. I mean a contrast in the righteousness in which we live in. The righteousness in which we walk by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's where the contrast comes. Not that, well, these Christians have all these kind of Facebook posts, but these people, that's not the contrast Christ is calling us to. I'm not saying don't have a voice in the culture. I'm not saying don't push back against lies. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the contrast is our righteousness. The contrast is our sacrifice. If we're really doing this with certainty and with faith and with confidence and running the way Jesus and his mission will lend us and encourage and demand us to, then man, people should look at us and see, wow, they are sacrificial. Not they are great at picket lines and boycotting stores that don't believe it, but they say, wow, they, they are sacrificial. That's the kind of contrast that, that Christ, and I believe an application to this gospel, is going to lead us to. Um, it might mean for you persecution and job suicide. It might mean that you're working at a place that you can no longer work at because of this. It might mean you do relationships differently. It might mean you date differently. It should mean these things. Uh, It might mean that you actually get up and cross the room to share truth with somebody else because you believe with so much certainty that this is life. And the Holy Spirit is calling you to share with others and be a light, not be a lamp, not hidden under a bushel. Do we walk with that confidence? It's our challenge. That's what we have to look at in these scriptures. Do we walk with that level of confidence? Do we evangelize with that level of confidence? We can say, yeah, yeah, I I believe this. Of course I have confidence in Jesus. Of course I believe what Luke says. Of course I'm going to be a head nodder. This, this is equally as convicting to me as I'm preparing for this. Does my life show that contrast? Does it show that confidence, the way I evangelize, the way I love, the way I sacrifice for others? Um, does it show we're actually certain of this? Or do we live in fear like the disciples before the resurrected Jesus? Do we live in that fear and, and when things get hard, we hide? Um, we get one chance at this. Guys, we get one chance at our life. Um, You don't get a dress rehearsal, you get one chance to live this thing out. And you don't know how many days the Lord is going to give you. What are you doing? What are you doing with your one and only life? How are you spending it? Are you living for something that you are willing to die for? And are you living in an obedient, 
radical way. Hey, if you don't know, if you don't know the thing worth living and dying for, I want you, I want you to know that. I want you to meet Jesus. I want, I want you to see that this God who has, I think, even called you non-coincidentally into this room tonight, wants a relationship with you. And if you're in this room and, and you're not sure yet about these things, I want you to be certain of who he is. I want you to stick around and walk with us in community. I want you to talk to me or talk to a leader or talk to somebody who you see Christ in and say, I want what you have. I, I don't think it's going to be my words. I don't think it's going to be the band hitting the right notes and playing the right songs. I think if you're sitting there and you don't know Christ, I think something is poking at you tonight. And I want to challenge you to surrender that because I think there is life in surrendering over yours to him. Real life of purpose. I don't think I need to convince you of that. I think the Holy Spirit does. And man, if you're in this room and you have walked away from that Christ, you have believed that, you have surrendered to that, you have said, he is what I want, that is... I." And that you have found yourself in the desert and you have found yourself hungry and wanting and lonely and empty and dry. He's calling you back. Tonight, he is calling you back and he's saying, you are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. I have never stopped loving you. And you say, the shame and the guilt and my track record and this and all of this. And he points to the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says, that's paid for. That is paid for. And through the resurrection, you have life and freedom. If you truly believe, I am who I said I was. The only way to our Father. God in the flesh, who takes on our sins and allows us to have a relationship with this God. He's calling you to repentance tonight. My hope is that you're going to see throughout this book more and more certainty of your faith. More and more certainty that this God is who he said he was. And that changes everything about you. Slowly, freaking ridiculously painfully, this growth, fancy word, sanctification process, he's trying to make us more like him. It's painful at times. It's worth it. It is worth it. Hear the Lord tell you tonight, it is worth it to surrender your life for me. That's where we're going this semester. I think that's what he has for you this semester. And that's what the book of Luke wants to do, is say, how can I increase your certainty? Let me give you the story of Christ in a way that you will believe and you will respond. Let me pray over you. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. You call us to come and die, and um, that is weighty. But Lord, would we not water down this gospel? Uh, Would we not turn this into um, anything less than you would have it? And would you do business with us tonight, Lord? Um, You find us where we don't belong. You find us in these places that we, we shouldn't be. You find us filthy. While we were yet sinners, you died for us, Romans 5, 8 says, and and yet you don't leave us there. And you, you call us out of those places. And you say, come and follow me. And if it was anybody else or anything else, the thought of surrendering our life just sounds 
It just sounds painful, but Lord, you are good and you are worthy. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Do your work in our lives. That we would surrender and be obedient to you. Tonight, would we see more and more of your face? Would we respond in worship? Would we respond in truth? In the name of Jesus, amen. Yeah.